Today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report is brought to you by Floor. We're building a better world. Welcome to the Gone Fission Nuclear Report, your one-stop source for all the latest news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program. Now, here's your host, Michael Butler. Hello, and welcome to the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. Today is Monday, March 6th, 2023. We're covering all the news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the country. We thank our friends at Fluor for being presenting sponsor for today's episode. Perhaps the most challenging cleanup work in all of the Department of Energy complex is underway at the Hanford site in Washington State. Their crews are working to dispose of 56 million gallons of radioactive waste stored in 177 underground tanks. As with other nuclear production sites, this waste was generated during the Manhattan Project during World War II and during subsequent nuclear production in the Cold War that followed. A series of closely interrelated projects are being completed to allow 24-7 operations that will feed waste to the new Waste Treatment and Immobilization Plant, or WTP, now under construction. It is a massive multi-billion dollar undertaking that will eventually convert the liquid waste into a solid glass form for ultimate disposal. The prime contractors on site, some of the biggest names in environmental cleanup, are working together as a team to make sure the process works as planned. This teamwork even has a name. It's called One Hanford. In this episode, we'll talk with the Department of Energy's Hanford site manager, Brian Vance, about what One Hanford means and why a seamless team approach among contractors is needed. Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple of dimensions to that. One at the most elemental level is the workers that work across those interfaces shouldn't see somebody from a different company on the other side of the interface. They should see another Hanford employee working together to execute the direct feed low activity waste mission. So the safety culture, the operations culture, the con ops under which they operate have to be you know, seamless between the contractors to operate the program in the way it's intended. There's also the potential that there will be, well, the reality that there may be issues, right? We might have upsets in electrical power or upsets in water or one or more of the facilities may have to go down um, to, for planned maintenance. And the way that we can we have to operate in that environment really is a single integrated team because no longer can the companies kind of operate on their own time schedules and time 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 frames and without without the consideration of shared services those types of things so there's a a broader um, aspect of it that really really ties the companies together and then as a as an enterprise we have to be make be able to make good sound technical conservative decisions quickly. Uh, and continue to operate the, the 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 program, and all of those really tie to this enterprise approach, the one hander pro Hanford approach, where we all really operate at a higher level of teaming, communication, collaboration, with a safety culture, an operations culture that underpins the whole the whole program in a way that keeps everybody tied together. 
We'll hear more from Brian Vance later in the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this from Floor. It's one of the biggest environmental cleanup jobs in history. But what exactly is involved in cleanup of the Hanford site? Here's a report on what's going on in tank waste cleanup at Hanford. Beginning in the 1940s, the Hanford site in Washington state produced plutonium to be used in nuclear weapons. Over the next four decades, that production effort resulted in the generation of 56 million gallons of chemical and nuclear waste that is currently being stored in 177 underground tanks on the site. The management, treatment, and ultimate disposal of the waste is part of the environmental cleanup effort managed by the U.S. Department of Energy. DOE recognizes the urgency of the cleanup mission and the need to make safe and efficient progress. The tank waste cleanup mission is being accomplished using a phased approach, beginning with direct feed low activity waste, or DF law. This approach maximizes near-term risk reduction and begins disposition of the most mobile constituents of the tank waste. The Hanford site encompasses more than 580 square miles along the Columbia River in southeast Washington. Each of the underground storage tanks at the site contains a unique mixture of chemicals and radiological waste from multiple processes during the site's production mission. To now, the focus has been on the design and construction of the waste treatment and immobilization plant, which will vitrify some of Hanford's tank waste. Today, however, that mindset is shifting from designing and building to starting up and safely operating the facilities needed to begin making glass with the DF law approach. Waste treated from single shell tanks and transferred to double shell tanks is being consolidated in the AP tank farm in Hanford's 200 East area, where the tank waste will be staged for treatment. From the AP farm tanks, the waste will then be fed to the tank side cesium removal system, or TISCR, which will utilize technologies safely operated at the Fukushima cleanup in Japan and the Department of Energy's Oak Ridge site in Tennessee to remove cesium and prepare the tank waste for immobilization in glass. By developing tank side technologies for tank waste treatment, DOE is generating a more efficient and cost-effective method to treat Hanford tank waste that will inform decisions about how best to provide treatment capability over the life of the effort. The flexible and modular configuration of the Tisker technology, which uses a proven ion exchange process, will allow DOE to provide a reliable initial feed for treated waste as other strategies are evaluated. The cesium removed from the tank waste will be captured in ion exchange columns and stored on a concrete pad adjacent to the Tisker facility, while the treated low-activity waste will be returned to a separate tank, known as AP-106, for transfer to the low-activity waste facility. The waste will be transferred by pipeline to the low-activity waste facility, where it will be mixed with glass-forming materials to produce a solid glass, or vitrified waste form, in stainless steel containers. Each batch of waste sent to the low-activity waste facility will be sampled at the analytical laboratory 
to determine the recipe of glass forming materials needed and then verify the vitrified glass meets regulatory requirements for disposal. From there, the containers of vitrified low-activity waste will be transferred to the on-site integrated disposal facility for long-term disposal. Over the first 10 years of operation, the DFLAW approach is expected to yield a number of important benefits for the Hanford cleanup mission, including an overall 24% reduction in the long-term environmental risk of the tank waste legacy. This approach allows DOE to begin the treatment and disposal of the most mobile constituents of the tank waste and will provide valuable lessons learned to aid startup and commissioning of other portions of the waste treatment and immobilization plant, which will address the high-level tank waste. DOE and the Hanford site contractors are aligned and integrated, focused on delivering the waste treatment capability needed for waste immobilization and final disposition of all Hanford tank waste. The Department of Energy has reached a critical point in the DFLAW project with the start of tank waste treatment just around the corner. The department is working to strengthen relationships across contractors, regulators, national laboratories, and our local and regional communities that will enable us to start treating waste as early as 2022. The success of the DFLAW project will be the result of years of dedicated efforts by so many to the long-term safety of human health and the environment, and will mark a significant achievement in the overall Hanford cleanup mission. We'll be back with more right after this from Floor. At last year's nuclear cleanup workshop, Brian Vance, DOE's manager at the Hanford site, told attendees that DOE and its one Hanford contractors work as a team to safely deliver cleanup progress that reduces risk to the workforce, the community, and the Pacific Northwest. He said the one Hanford approach has created the communication, collaboration, and teamwork necessary to support the next phase of the cleanup mission. The Hanford workforce is preparing for 24-7 operations as an integrated team, establishing an environment that sets the course of cleanup for decades to come. I interviewed Brian Vance recently about the One Hanford Team approach. Here's what he had to say. Mr. Vance, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, you know, a lot of companies, uh, in, in this country spend a lot of time and effort and money uh, trying to come up with uh, the, just the right uh, two or three word phrase that uh, captures the essence of their mission or, or their uh, competitive advantage that they have. You, uh, one of the obviously the most famous, I guess, is Nike with their just do it. And it's not an easy task to uh, come up with those words, but you seem to have done it uh, with your one Hanford uh, slogan. and. That's what we wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, and let's start with this. Uh, uh, where did this concept originate? Where did One Hanford come from? And and, and why was uh, you feel it was needed? Well, I, I took the, the role as the uh, manager of the Officer of River Protection 
in late 2017. And, um, you know, as we looked at where the, the project was, the waste treatment plant project in the construction phase, it was getting close to the end. And we started, we started to think more about the next phase of the mission, which is actually the operation of the plant, but also in recognition that the waste treatment plant itself is only one part of the process and really a program that is represented by direct feedlot activity waste. Uh, because when you look at the framework of the of the machine, um, it's really a site-wide machine. The tank farms provide the source, uh, the treated pre-treated waste to the waste treatment plant. The tank farms were operated by one of our contractors, Washington River Protection Solutions. They were delivering the treated waste to the waste treatment plant, constructed and at least operated through commissioning and in hot commissioning by Bechtel. Then, then the byproducts, the glass canisters would go to the integrated disposal facility managed by a third contractor, the Central Plateau contractor, and the byproducts of the vitrification process, the, the, the condensed, uh, the steam and the processes that would come from that, go back to the Washington Protection Solutions contractor in a different facility on the site. And so um, the, the process really required both offices, both DUE offices, both the Officer of Protection and the Richland Operations Office, and all of our contractors, because the other aspect of this is all the infrastructure, water, power, sewer, IT, all came from another contractor on the site under the Richland Operations side. So we recognized that we had to look at the site and look at the process in a fundamentally different way. And there were a couple transitions tied to that. One was simply the transition of working across those interfaces as a team, which we really hadn't been needed to do for a long time because we were largely a four day a week, 10 hour a day type of a site with construction and demolition or um, soil remediation projects going on. And then the second part was the pace of the site was gonna have to increase as well because once we recognize you have two melters up and hot and running, they're up and running forever until we have to shut one down to replace them. And so the pace of the site more towards a 24-7, 365 operation was another transition. And when, when we thought about how we would do that, we had to start talking about the site and the team in a different way. And one hand for it just seemed like a natural way to tie it all together. Well, why, why is this approach uh, important to the, your ultimate goal of vitrifying waste? Uh, you talked about all the contractors that you have on the site and uh, so uh, why is it important for these contractors to be integrated in that way uh, to, to, as a team to, to accomplish this vitrification mission? Yeah, there's a, couple, there's a couple of dimensions to that. One at the most elemental level is the workers that work across those interfaces shouldn't see somebody from a different company on the other side of the interface. They should see another Hanford employee working together to execute the direct feed low activity waste mission. So the safety culture, the operations culture, the con ops under which they operate have to be you know, seamless between the contractors to operate the program in the way it's intended. There's also the potential that there will be, well, the reality that there may be issues, right? We might have upsets in electrical power or upsets in water or one or more of the facilities may have to go down um, to, for plan maintenance. And the way that we can we have to operate in that environment really is a single integrated team 
because no longer can the companies kind of operate on their own time schedules and time 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 frames and without without the consideration of shared services those types of things so there's a a broader um, aspect of it that really really ties the companies together and then as a as an enterprise we have to be make be able to make good sound technical conservative decisions quickly uh, and continue to operate the, the 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 program and all of those really tie to this enterprise approach the one hander pro hanford approach where we all really operate at a higher level of teaming communication collaboration with a safety culture an operations culture that underpins the whole the whole program in a way that keeps everybody tied together well, from a uh, management standpoint, uh, what are what do you and your managers do to uh, encourage this uh, this uh, teamwork and this one Hanford approach? Well, that's uh, you know it, it it started really as a concept in 2018, and then I became the manager of the Richland Operations Office while I was also the manager of the Observer Protection in February of 2019. So at that point, we really started to go beyond just direct feed low activity waste program and the one Hanford approach to see it more as a site-wide approach. And it really just started with the communications between the two sets of managers in the two offices, because as the site owner and the customer to our contractors, the Department of Energy, we can create these types of changes more efficiently and more effectively than anybody else can simply because of the role in the site. And so um, we started effectively routine meetings with the leadership teams with, you know, I still had two deputy managers, one on each side. I had several assistant managers at the, all at the senior executive service level on both sides, but routinely we didn't talk to each other up to the point where there was, you know, I was in the single manager role. So then we went to daily, weekly operations meetings, team meetings, started to talk as a team and that started the process. Um, but we also looked uh, even more broadly at how there was two cultures that had evolved on the site between the office server protection, which was really a project-based culture, which because the, the office server protection was established in uh, NDAA 20, 2019, I'm sorry, 1999 as a project office, which was focused on the delivery of the tank waste mission. So it was, a, a, I'll say, a, a micro set of the team at the larger site at Richland Operations. Um, and so the cultures evolved over time from a project culture and a site culture to the point where we had over 700 procedures that were half RL procedures, half ORP procedures. And so we went through a, a procedure rationalization, best of breed to bring it together because we had functional overlaps between the two offices as well. So we tried to start working our way through all of those overlaps, even though the offices still remain separate we had to operate as a single integrated team, all 300 federal employees here in a way that was different than in the past that represented that one hand for approach to be able to be in a position to drive the contractors down that trail as well. And so then on the contracts front, on the contractor front, we had a did, did a couple things. The first thing we did was we had a reimagine the site event in the spring of 2019 where we talked about, we reimagined the site with an operating waste treatment plant and operating DF law program. And that was just to get everybody together to talk about how things would change. 
you know, you, you think about things like an electrical upset where in the past you might be able to go the weekend and get it back up on Monday morning and get people back to work. Now we have to recover it within three to five to six hours um, to make sure that the melters all stay hot and the molten pools of glass stay molten um, and we continue operating. And so everybody had to think about the way that they would operate in that new environment in a different way. And that was just to kind of start the discussion. Um, we also established a direct feed low activity waste program manager. Um, I selected Tom Fletcher, who's also the waste treatment plant assistant manager because he was sort of at the center of the, the storm um, as a means of getting those interfaces connected, right? Getting all the contractors talking more directly about those interfaces and working everybody in the same direction from a team perspective. And then we, I asked the contractor that's really our integrator to develop a, a, no, a new governance model, a model under which we as a Hanford team could work together more efficiently to make good, sound, not only business decisions, but operations decisions across the site in uh, this new operating regime that we were working towards. So we, we, we issued the governance model in January of 2020, and then the pandemic came into play in March of 2020. And so, you know, it was a little bit of serendipity, but the fact is the governance model became a key aspect of our ability as a Hanford site team to manage through the pandemic with a, in, a, in a fundamentally new and different way um, and really matured in a lot of ways that enterprise approach because we wanted to make sure that we were very consistent between the department and our contractors and how we were managing the pandemic so that the individual employees of the individual contractors did not see differences across the site um, because it was a time of emotion and concern and you know with a, with a new threat. Um, and so being able to operate in that way really was a galvanizing force to the, the maturity and the maturation, frankly, of our enterprise model, our Han one Hanford approach, which was really very effective in bringing us all together. And we actually issued an update to the governance model a year after we started based on all the lessons we had learned during the pandemic because we had learned some things about the process using the pandemic that we had to enhance and frankly that was the timing was really good because it really is helping us now to be more ready as a site team as we get closer and closer to waste treatment operations do you feel like you have a complete buy-in from all your contractors into the one hanford approach at the leadership level, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we meet with our leadership team, the department and our contractors um, at least weekly for an ops meeting and then other in other venues. And then I also meet with the contractor presidents more in a, a smaller group format, a couple, uh, usually monthly, um, but also on ad hoc issues as well. But in reality, I think at the leadership level, we really do. I think the transition that we're really striving to, to achieve is deeper into the organizations because we have folks here um you know we transitioned to the national from a national security mission to an environmental cleanup mission in 1989 and so there was a fundamental shift in the site that we've been through many years ago uh, more than 30 years ago but the site operations posture over at least the last 20 years was at, at a much different pace and, and really the contractors didn't have to work together as closely and so there's people that have worked here a long time where their cultural orientation in the workplace is not the same and their habits in the workplace are not the same 
as they will need to evolve as we go forward. So we're really working as a, as a leadership team to get those um, working level relationships and the philosophy of the site driven a little bit deeper into the organization into second and third and fourth tier managers and all the way down to the, the foundations of the organization, because that's going to be important to our success. And we're doing that in a time when we're seeing a little bit higher attrition across the workforce, um, ranging around 20%, where historically we'd seen um, 7 to 10% attrition by you know, on a yearly basis. Part of that's really driven by the, the maturing workforce. Um, but there's others that people just choose to go work in other places at times as well. And so, you know, there's a there's an opportunity in the, that change because we have a lot of people coming to the site that don't have any preconceived notions, but they're also probably coming to the site without having to work in an environment um, where there's an operational pace that's similar to what we, we have here, uh, unless they've worked in other, you know, refineries or um, commercial nuclear power plants, places like that. So, you know, we are really working hard to drive this farther down into the organization, but I, I would tell you at the leadership level, there is very good alignment because we all experienced the pandemic together. We all really had a, you know, a, it was a constructive and positive experience from a working relationship perspective. Um, we just have to de- get, get farther into the organization as we get closer and closer to, to waste treatment plant operations. When I, uh, when I think about uh, Hanford, a couple of things come to mind. One is uh, you have a massive uh, undertaking there in terms of cleanup. Uh, uh, some of the most uh, hazardous challenges that uh, anybody faces in the entire DOE complex. And I quite has indicated that uh, there's uh, probably six decades of work left out there. So it's a very long-term uh, job. And, and soon you're going to be going to 24-7 operations uh, kind of around the clock. The other thing is that it seems like... Uh, all of your processes uh, to get to vitrification are so interdependent on each other that there has to be this uh, seamless operation uh, to make sure that uh, things happen when they're supposed to happen. So the feed, ma- the feed material, the waste feed gets where it's supposed to go and everything keeps, keeps running. Uh, I wonder what would be your concern if there wasn't a one Hanford approach? Uh, uh, what, what would the result be of uh, any, any other kind of approach besides that that team and and seamless approach that you're trying to take under one Hanford? Yeah, it would it would really be very difficult to um, progress the mission that we're we're preparing to transition into um, as safely and efficiently as effectively as we need to without the one Hanford approach. Um, you know, we've got a we we remain a two DOE office site. I have six prime contractors, um, in in some cases under different contract types, and we've got to find ways to make sure that as a team, we are creating the conditions where we're all pulling the same direction, Um, which is, you know, obviously not always simple in the structure that we have, um, that the site was kind of created on and has evolved into. I think we've got to continue to work to reinforce the partnerships um, the relationship between the, the department and our contractors, between our contractors and each other in many ways, to break down those traditional barriers and make sure that we're all from an enterprise and a one hand for perspective, all aligned and pulling the same direction, all with the same sense of deliberate urgency 
um, but all really committed to you know the, those foundational things like the health and safety of, of the workforce as our top priority, um, the seamlessness of our communications and the trust and collaboration we have to be able to maintain to have those hard discussions about difficult issues at two o'clock in the morning sometimes to be able to get to a solution in an efficient way to continue to execute the mission. And as we look at the, the site even more broadly than just the direct fuel activity waste mission, understanding that um, we're, we're managing an overall risk profile um, at the site level. And so our underlying charter or philosophy for how we have to operate the site is focused on optimizing and maximizing risk reduction for every dollar invested by Congress in the cleanup mission at the Hanford site. And so when you think about that broad risk portfolio, you have to think about things like infrastructure. You know, there'll be situations where I have to invest in roads, I may have to invest in water and power, I may have to invest in sewer to manage the risk, to establish the infrastructure so that the cleanup effort that's going on within direct low activity waste program is supported, as you said, over 30, 40, 50, 60 years and continuing to optimize and right-size our infrastructure as a part of the overall risk portfolio. Because if we if we allow the infrastructure not to support our needs, then we're gonna actually impact the mission performance and we just can't afford that. So all of us stepping back and, and really looking at the site holistically and comprehensively and challenging ourselves, challenging each other to identify those areas that maybe not thought of as traditional risks from an environmental cleanup perspective, but mission risks that would impact our ability to execute the mission as efficiently and effectively as we need to. Uh, are you aware, to your knowledge, uh, has this kind of a unified approach uh, at this level uh, been tried at any other uh, DOE sites where cleanup is going on? I, you know, most of the other sites aren't like Hanford in, in lots of ways. Um, the other sites often have two DOE organizations there, but they're probably different um, elements of the department, like nuclear energy um, or NNSA or the Office of Science uh, and some with Office of Environmental Management activities on those locations. Hanford's unique. Uh, we're an Office of Environmental, Environmental Management only site. And so we're unique because we had two EM organizations on the same site. Um, and, and again, there were reasons to do that when the NDA 1999 was issued to really get a project focus on the waste treatment plan and delivering the tank waste mission. But I don't know that there's another site that requires the same level of coordination because it's there are different missions on the same location, vice the same mission on the same location. So I think, I know the other sites have processes that enable cooperative agreements and cooperative work relationships because you know we're all within the DOE family. But I think Hanford's unique in the fact that we had two EM offices on it on an EM site, and and this is you know the natural progression of how we need to evolve to to be successful in our mission going forward. I don't think the other sites have the similar challenges or or maybe the similar opportunities as well. Let's talk about your uh, cleanup uh, priorities for 2023. Uh, I've uh, information I've looked at uh, lately. Uh, uh, shows that you've uh, retrieved uh, 21 single-shell tanks and uh, just completed uh, retrieval of the second of your 18 tank farms uh, with completion of the AX farm. Uh, what what are you looking to happen in 2023, and 
And what will make your year a success? Well, there's really there's really two parts to that answer because part of it is the actual cleanup objectives, milestones we want to accomplish on the site, um, which for me, as I think about, you know, we want to be well along the path of commissioning the waste treatment plant. We want to have two melters hot by the end of the year and really going through the when I say cold commissioning, that's the non-radioactive commissioning, and that will go through a series of uh, simulant runs, and then we'll introduce um, chemical hazards as a part of the cold commissioning process. So we want to be moving that part of the mission along. Um, we want to have the tank side season removal system um, continue to operate. We should have a, another batch uh, process started here uh, in March, and we're working to accelerate that schedule into February. We've already treated 380,000 gallons of tank waste, and it's ready to be transported or sent over the waste treatment plant when the waste treatment plant is ready to start hot commissioning. Um, we're really striving to get between 800,000 and a million gallons of pretreated waste prepared in advance of the waste treatment plant being ready. So we have three more batches um, we've projected of tank side season removal system uh, operations batches to, to get to that point. Um, what we don't always talk about a lot is there are major upgrades being conducted at the effluent treatment facility, which is one of the facilities that we use to manage the byproducts of the vitrification process. We've insert, we've established a fourth basin in our liquid effluent retention facility, which will also support those byproducts. Um, we've got some construction work remaining or well, really cleanup work remaining at the integrated disposal facility. Um, and we've got all the permitting to complete, which we're on track to complete all the permitting. All of those activities have to be completed by the end of this year, really to be in a position when the waste treatment plant's ready to move forward for those facilities to move forward. And so there's there's a lot of activities going on there. We also have infrastructure projects um, that we're, we're building a new water plant on the site to replace the 1943 water plant that's operated from the beginning of the Manhattan Project, um, working with Bonneville Power Administration to uh, do some refurbishment work on our electrical grid to support enhanced reliability for the waste treatment plant when operations occur there. Um, and, and those are all really centered around the, the work at, for, to support direct feed low activity waste program. But we also have those big risk reduction projects we're continuing to execute. You talked about, we're actually retrieving the last of the four AX farm tanks right now. We've actually started the, the, the retrieval of the fourth AX farm tank, which will be the last of the AX farm tanks to be retrieved. Uh, that really just started last month. Um, and we'll continue that process. Actually, I'm sorry. That process began this month and we'll continue that process for another 12 to 18 months to get that tank fully retrieved. That would be the second tank farm to add to sea farm fully retrieved on the site. And then we have projects at 100K, which we're working now to um, get through the process of removing debris from one of the basins that was used for uh, spent fuel during the national security mission. Um, and once we get all the debris out of that basin, there's about a million gallons in that, that basin that we'll want to get out of the system, sent over to the effluent treatment facility to be treated. And that reduces one of the major risks left, left on the river. And then we're working on a project at the waste encapsulation waste encapsulation and storage facility to transfer 1,936 cesium and strontium capsules. Cesium and strontium was removed from the tank farms 
in the 70s and maybe the early 80s time frame because there was a lot of heat being generated in the tanks, causing the tanks to boil at times. And so we want to move those canisters from wet storage to long-term dry storage, again, to reduce another risk on the site, really a post-Fukushima assessment to get things into dry storage and more stable. And then we have one more facility in the 300 area, which was the um, area where the fuel was produced and there was a lot of experimentation in the area. That's the last facility to be demolished. And so we're working through a, a project there to remove some heavily contaminated soil from beneath the building, ultimately to be able to enable open air demolition of the remainder of the facility at the appropriate time. So we've got some other big risk reduction projects on the horizon. And then we still have a transuranic waste mission that will start in the second half of the decade and move forward. We're, we're going to be one of the primary shippers to uh, the waste isolation pilot plant um, in the 2030s and beyond. And so the site has an incredibly diverse portfolio of products and projects that are moving along. Um, in addition to, and I forgot to mention, our groundwater program, we're treating 2 billion gallons of groundwater per year here. And so all of those things together, um, you know, seeing all of those projects move forward are setting us up for, you know, an spectacular 2023 set of achievements. And then 2024, when we really think we're going to start that, that important next phase, the historical phase of the Hanford site mission, where we're going to go treat um, tank waste for the very first time at industrial scale. So that's one set of success criteria based on the physical aspects of our environmental cleanup. I will tell you, equally important uh, from my perspective are things like we want 2023 to be the best year of worker safety at the Hanford site. We want to continue to move together to create the conditions across the site for the 24-7, 365 operations um, in, in a safety culture that recognize we can operate at that new pace just as safely as we do today under our current pace. Um, we want to be able to enhance teamwork between the department and our contractors and you know look at the, the governance model and see if there's other ways to enhance its performance in support of our communications, collaboration, and team team activities. We want to strengthen our relationship with our regulators to ensure that we can you know, continue to move the mission forward uh, with the support and with the with the you know the regulators all, all all feeling the same sense of pride in accomplishing it and, and helping the mission move the mission forward. And I really want to continue to broaden um, our engagement and awareness. We have a very broad stakeholder uh, environment here. Um, and we also have three tribal nations uh, connected to the site. And I want to continue to strengthen our relationships, uh, their awareness of what we're doing, their awareness of why we do it, and the focus areas that we have to clean up the site. So we get broad support from around the site as well, because from an enterprise perspective, a one hand perspective, and you know, I, this is a $2.84 billion enterprise um, and team, I think really about the site on three dimensions. The first dimension is getting everyone aligned and you know all 12,000 people that come to the site to move the mission forward every day between the department, our primes, and our subcontractors all you know living together, working it together under the same culture and pulling the same direction. That's one major focus area that I have to really maintain time or spend time on to build that 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 alignment. The second is within the lifelines of the site, within the fence line between the department and our contractors, 
creating the environment where world-class contractors can deliver world-class performance for performance and the execution of the of the cleanup mission that um, that they're working for us on on you know really on the taxpayers' benefit and behalf. And then that last piece is really that broader awareness and support beyond our fence line out into the community at the from local to state to regional to national to tribal to make sure everyone recognizes and appreciates the work we're doing and can advocate for us um, to move the mission forward. So in, if we're able to continue to mature and get support and alignment across those three uh, areas of focus that I have and we have as leadership team, very little we can accomplish when everyone's pulling the same direction. And, and you know, seeing that come together, seeing the pride in the workforce, which I think helps us retain and also helps us recruit, are all parts of this, you know, this this broader effort that we have in play here to really redefine what a Department of Energy contractor team can accomplish together in the execution of a very complex and uh, challenging mission. And we've made a lot of progress. And so, you know, as, as I think about the, the future, I'm very optimistic. We've come a long way as a team. Um, all those things are coming together. Uh, it takes constant pressure, constant investment by our entire leadership team to be able to keep everybody kind of working down that path that we see for the site and that team dynamic that is so important for our success. And so I'm very optimistic we're on a really good trajectory and hope that we can continue to keep it moving. And so it's a, what, we, what we can accomplish within the physical execution of the work on the site, but that cultural team part of it is just as important. Um, and I think if we can get both of those moving down the trail this year in the same direction, the good, strong trajectory we're on, I'll, 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 we'll have achieved the success that we're capable of for 2023 and then really be set up for a spectacular 24, 25, and 26 beyond. Well, Mr. Vance, uh, you have a, a very big job on your hands. Uh, we've covered a lot of territory here today, and uh, I think uh, that people should be reassured. You talk about uh, the outreach beyond the fence line. I think people uh, outside of the fence should be very reassured uh, by the approach you're taking and by the, uh, the one Hanford uh, team uh, uh, that you're putting together and, uh, and emphasizing that uh, Hanford's in good hands. That there's a lot to do there, but uh, uh, you seem to be on the right track to make the kind of progress that's needed and uh, uh, to uh, do the things that will uh, make the community uh, proud of the site and uh, glad to be a, a neighbor. No, I, I appreciate that very much. It's a great team and really lots of talented professionals here. So it, I'm, I'm lucky to to be in a, in a position like this at the right time with, with all the, you know, history kind of converging at a point where we can have a huge impact and really set the course for the next chapter of the Hanford Cleanup. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. No, it's been my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, um, thanks for your support. Today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report is brought to you by Floor. We're building a better world. 